Hello, I'm Mike Baselli, and this is episode 23 of Passionate Pioneers. During this episode, we learn from a national leading innovator in the field of newborn medicine and his passion for breaking down the barriers that exist between the neonatal intensive care unit and the newborn's home. Dr. Ross Summers is the founder and CEO of First Day Healthcare, a company offering a suite of digital healthcare solutions that are empowering parents of NICU graduates with innovative models of home healthcare, leading to fewer emergency room visits and hospital readmissions. During our time together, Dr. Summers shared his experience of becoming an Ivy League trained neonatologist and witnessing firsthand the lack of the continuum of care for his patients between the hospital setting and care at home. I'm excited for you to get to know Dr. Summers and hear his passion for delivering better health outcomes for our smallest and newest community members. It was evident during our discussion that Dr. Summers and his team are well on their way in reimagining how our healthcare system engages with NICU graduates. It is my hope you and your community will reach out to further help empower First Day Healthcare while on their pioneering journey. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Dr. Summers, welcome to the podcast. Being recorded here today at Halo Creative Labs, located inside of Angel MD's headquarters here at Catalyst, our healthcare innovation campus in downtown Denver. Uh, it's great to join you today. Thanks for having me, Mike. We're excited to have you on the podcast today, Dr. Summers, as we get to talk about the kiddos and all the little kiddos that you're empowering to grow safely at home. And as an aside, I love your tagline on LinkedIn, empowering patients of NICU graduates with innovative models of home health care. This is going to be so much fun today, Dr. Summers, and I'm hoping our audience can feel the big smile I have right now, given the inspiring conversation I know we're going to have of how you and your company are empowering the next generation. But before we dive into how you and your company have created this movement in technology, a bit of housekeeping. For our audience, while listening to any of our episodes, please make sure to visit the episode notes to share feedback and ideas with our guests via our guest feedback form link and to nominate other passionate pioneers for a future episode via our guest nomination form link. And lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast so you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli in iTunes or Spotify, or click the link at the bottom of the episode notes. All right, Dr. Summers, before we hear about the exciting journey you are on with First Day Healthcare, let's take a moment to break the ice a bit so our community can get to know you. I'm going to randomly select one of three questions, and we're going to dive in here. All right. What is one thing that you love to do outside of your work of being a doctor and being an executive at First Day Healthcare? What is one thing that you like to do outside of that work? Aha, uh -huh, perfect question. Well, I actually have limited time because besides being uh, <laughs> a neonatologist, I'm also the father of uh, six children. So 
my wife and my kids take up uh, most of my time. Okay, so I'm going to hit the I'm going to hit the pause button on that really quick, Doctor Summer. So you're telling me you have six children, you are yeah. a neonatologist, a doctor, yeah. and you're a founder of a startup. Correct. All three. <laughs> I'm juggling a lot of hats right now. So, what is the answer to the question? I mean, uh, to get some sleep, and uh, <laughs> but beyond that, actually, I am a bit of a weekend warrior. I like uh, doing projects around the house when possible, and I guess it goes along with fitting of enjoying creating and building things. Uh, so, I am a bit. Uh, I like to get my hands involved in house maintenance and things like that. So, are you, are we looking at gardening? Are we looking at landscaping, uh, masonry work, yeah, carpentry, anything? Yeah. Huh? Yeah, they know me at Home Depot by first name. All right, well, around the corner, perfect place. Well, we we do have some projects on the home front here in Denver, so don't be shy in coming to Colorado for some home repair on our end as well. <laughs> well, this is very exciting, Doctor Summers. We're so excited to have you on the on the podcast today. The work that you and your team at at First Day Healthcare are doing is incredibly inspiring, and I cannot wait for our audience to hear more about it. But before we go there and before we dive in. I want to take it back a bit. How does one become a neonatologist? Is that something that you always knew you you wanted to do? Has that always been a passion of yours to take care of babies? Back us up a bit. Take us on that journey of how you became Dr. Summers, the neonatologist. Uh, Well, actually, to tell you the truth, Mike, initially, I actually wanted to be a a veterinarian. (laughs) But I didn't realize actually getting a veterinarian school is very difficult. It's actually more difficult than medical school. But in hindsight, it's actually similar what I do, being a neonatologist, taking care of babies who can't talk and can't explain what's bothering them, what's hurting them, and also working with animals. You have to be, you have to be like a detective. So my journey started wanting to be a, a, a veterinarian, and then I went to medicine, and then I went to pediatrics for three years. And then after pediatrics training, you do another three years of uh, neonatology training. And I think in the end, um, I'm much happier because, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love animals, but at least uh, here I get the you know very satisfying work with the parents and family. And, and what does that mean being a neonatologist? Are, are there specific type of, of newborns you're taking care of? Do you guys specialize within the specialty? What does that mean for, for some of our, our, our lay lay audience members. What does that mean being a neonatologist? So a neonatologist is a a pediatric subspecialty that deals with basically anything in newborn medicine. Um, The bulk of our field is uh, prematurity. So babies born before term, but we deal with all gestational ages. So even babies at full term have medical issues that need an intensive care unit Often they're related to surgical types of conditions, but uh, the majority is uh, prematurity. There aren't any further subspecialty trainings in neonatology. We're sort of like the quarterback in the neonatology intensive care unit. So we bring in other specialists, cardiologists and neurologists, but I enjoy what I do because I'm not focusing on just one specific organ system, but we're looking at the, the baby as a whole. And when when you receive a new patient, how long are you tracking that patient? Up to what age, or is there a certain type of threshold that the patient hits? When do you uh, stop tracking the patient, or maybe you, you track the patient uh, for quite some time? Maybe unpack that a bit. 
Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question because it's going to lead into what I'm trying to do, what I'm building. And the answer is, is that historically neonatology ends when they leave the hospital after birth for the first time. So a premature baby may be born as young as 24 weeks and stay with us in the NICU for three, four months. But generally speaking, when they go home after that NICU stay, we're not responsible for them anymore. Uh, there are some uh, hospitals that have follow-up clinics, but typically they're to follow up these premature infants for neurologic uh, disabilities and developmental delays. It's not a type of follow-up for, you know, everyday illnesses and so on. But um, generally speaking, once they go home from the NICU, they don't, uh, it's not a responsibility. Not only this, if they were to get sick, they typically do not get readmitted to the NICU. So if they get sick, were to get sick, they usually end up going to the pediatric ICU. Part of it is related to infectious concerns. Um, but uh, that's part of the challenges that I have in my field is that one day they're a neonatology uh, NICU patient, the next day they're a NICU graduate, and then it's like done. It's just cut off. And uh, and I actually sort of, I, I don't agree with this term, a NICU graduate. If you look online, you'll see pictures of babies in these little cute uh, hat and gowns. And uh, it's a misnomer because by saying you're a graduate, something's behind you. And in truth, their issues of prematurity are not behind them. And, um, and the data shows that is true. The babies who I send home are not like full-term babies. Uh, full-term baby weighs seven pounds. These babies weigh four to five pounds. Uh, full term is 40 weeks. We send these babies home sometimes at 36 weeks, a month before their due date. And the outcomes are not like full term babies. Uh, between 25 to 30% of them are going to be readmitted. And uh, the overall mortality rate is 3%. And uh, it's challenging wow. because the parents aren't fully aware of these data, of these outcomes. And and it's a balance because from one standpoint, if they knew, they wouldn't want us to send the baby home. But from the other standpoint, the baby looks okay. He just looks like a small baby in a, in a crib. So it's a, it's a very challenging knowing when to send a baby home safely. And there's no real answer to that. Wow, that is quite eye-opening and I had no idea. But now, Dr. Summers, let's though continue to take it back a bit though. I'm imagining here you are, you're, you're, you're becoming a physician. You're now in practice I'm Im- imagining when you're in medical school and then become a, a, a full, fully, you know, board certified physician. Nowhere in there were you thinking one day I'm going to be a tech entrepreneur, or am I wrong? I never really thought of it. <laughs> I, I, I've always pictured being in a field that was innovative and coming up with new therapies and new ways of doing things, and that's that's why I went into neonatology was because. It's really actually relatively a new field. It, it has only existed for, you know, 30, 40 years. Wow. And all the advances have been since then. When I was doing my training, we only saved babies as low as 25 weeks gestation. Now it's, you know, standard to save babies 24 to 23 weeks gestation. This is, you know, half, literally a little bit more than halfway done of, of the pregnancy. And I've come to realize, though, that there's limited ways of innovation in the NICU. There's no, you know, way we could save younger babies. There's um, 
less opportunities. And I really believe that the future of innovation in my field is not in the hospital, but it's going to be at home. Yeah. And we're going to, and we're going to definitely unpack that because I couldn't agree more. I mean, you're seeing the trend lines just on the macro, not just within your, your specialty and subspecialty, but you're seeing that across healthcare, right? We're, we're taking it outside of the brick and mortar and into the home and, and to where Mm -hmm. the consumer wants it, which I, I, uh, greatly applaud and i think it's going to be a, a huge benefit to all of us but let's um let's focus in on when you started seeing the opportunity or or the aha moment for what is now first day healthcare when in your journey as a physician did you start noticing a tech enabled solution to better take care of these patients outside of the hospital what happened maybe give us a little bit of backstory there i think um I think it sort of came because I've always been interested in innovation in the healthcare field as a whole. So I see the explosion of digital health options out there for for adults. And I sort of, over time, was thinking to myself, how come there's nothing for my field? Why isn't anyone creating this? And I guess the aha moment was when I sort of transitioned being more from a doctor to a startup in the healthcare industry. I started to put pieces together and realize that uh, the reasons why this doesn't exist, I, I could see the need because uh, the readmit rates of 30, 35% are the same for adult conditions like uh, CHF and COPD. And I, I hear everywhere about, you know, hospital concern about 30-day readmit rates for adult conditions like this. And I guess the aha moment was just realizing that that there's lack of an incentive, I think, for the healthcare industry to create something like this because there aren't the NICU penalties for for Medicare of babies, uh, Medicaid, I'm sorry, being readmitted uh, to the hospital. And I realized that I, over time, things are going to change as we transition from fee-for-service to accountable care models. Um, there's going to be an opportunity in my field where this is going to align better with hospital needs that um, that they get better compensation based on uh, shorter length of stay. And um, so the aha moment was seeing the, the revolution around me. And also not just that, but also chronic conditions. The, you know, Livongo, other companies in digital health that are focusing on the chronic conditions. When you say digital health therapeutics for chronic conditions, a newborn is the last thing you think about. But in reality, these babies are chronic consumers of healthcare services. And and the moment was make, doing that math that, you know, I'm onto something because these babies are really chronic consumers. And I just, and we're just flying under the radar because people are just unaware of it. No one, we're not, you know, in the mainstream. And an entrepreneur could understand diabetes and hypertension, but this isn't really on their radar. Well, let's take a let's take a sidestep on it as well before we dive into what your team has built with the technology and how you're better serving uh, these patients. Can you give us a sense of the financial burden on the healthcare industry for what you are uh, 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 aiming to solve? What does that financial burden yeah. look like for us? It's, it's huge. I mean, when you look at it from a macro level, more healthcare dollars are spent at the beginning of life and the end of life than any other two time points. Babies are born, people are born, some are sick, then you get healthy, and then eventually you get older and, and die. And and uh, the prematurity is the biggest expense. The March of Dimes estimates that prematurity 
from socioeconomic costs the healthcare system about $30 billion a year. Uh, people don't realize that 10% of all newborns are admitted to a, a NICU. Wow. I always tell parents that um, there's no chapter in what to expect when you're expecting called the NICU chapter. Uh, people don't plan on it, but the truth is is 10%. And um, the overall, as I was saying, the readmit rate is about 30 to 35%. And that's a significant burden on that readmit rate, which we're obviously, as we go towards accountable care, right? Those are going to be huge penalties. Yes, exactly. So the March of Dimes doesn't take into consideration the fact that the first year health cost for a premature baby is about $35,000 per baby. And the majority of it, 80%, is from inpatient-related expenses. It's not from going to see the pediatrician. It's from being readmitted. And it's just, it's a huge problem because uh, literally on a day, daily basis, I send these babies home who I've managed for months with just a stack of papers and a good luck and a, an appointment with a pediatrician who they've never met before. And the, everything is aligned for this baby to not succeed because you call a doctor at two in the morning who you've never met before and, you know, this baby's coughing. What is he going to do? Say, go to the ER and they send the baby to the ER and this ER doctor doesn't necessarily want to take risk in doing something to prevent the baby from being readmitted. So we're not setting these babies up to success. And from a statistical standpoint, based on the 10, the, I did the math based on our birthing rates and the readmit rates and the cost, it's an additional seven to 8 billion just in the, in the per year for the post-NICU care. Well, we're going to, in a moment, we're going to talk about how first day healthcare is actually setting these babies up for success because your, your pathways and the technologies that you're building for these patients is incredibly inspiring. But I do want to take it to a personal side for, because this is the stuff that I love to nerd out on as well, because I, I, I'm fortunate to be in a position to spend time with brilliant entrepreneurs and founders of startups like you and like first day healthcare, uh, in my daily work. And since February of 2019, when the company was officially founded to now here in 2020, a lot has happened, but we'll, and again, we'll dive into that in just a moment, but let's take it to the home front. Here you are six kids with your wife. You probably come home one day and let the family know, I want to be a, a tech startup founder. How did that conversation go at home? To tell you the truth, it took a, a lot of convincing. I uh, bet. My wife, because I work not only this, but I'll do extra shifts to get extra revenue to pay for my startup development. So it's sort of a, a, a cycle. Um, but at some point, I just you know had to say to myself, listen, if, if I don't do it, I don't think anyone else will because... I didn't see uh, anything out there on the horizon being created for this population. And the truth is that I ha- there have been some attempts in the past, but I wasn't impressed with them. I don't think they were geared for the needs of these families. And, um, and I just you know went ahead and started building it. And it took me about a year and a half to get an MVP going that I was able to then finally offer to family. So does so since uh, you have convinced your wife, ha- does she notice a difference in, in you? Does she notice how excited you are around building this company and this movement with First Day Healthcare? Yeah, definitely. I mean, she probably says I talked to her about it too much, but <laughs> she knows it w- well by now. She gives me good advice. Uh, actually, she's really given me 
things that I didn't think about. You know, she said to me one day when I was building, she said, honey, what if they have twins? What are you going to do? Are they going to have to log out and log in again for the other baby? I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. And I had to redo everything so the parents could switch between more than one baby, for instance. Oh, that great point by mom. Great, yeah. great idea. Well, that's exciting. Tell tell your wife that uh, you always need the champion at the home front. Like I said, I, I get to spend a lot of time with founders and startup uh, uh, executives, and to have that support at home is uh, invaluable. So let's start diving in. Let's talk about what the platform is. You know, we'll start high level. I love the the company's tagline: "Quote the first and only digital health solution." for the NICU graduate population. Let's talk about that. What's that mean? What's First Day Healthcare created? Where are you at today? And then we'll talk a little bit about where you're going. Sure, sure. I I consider myself uh, a digital-enabled healthcare service. So it's not just purely digital. The parents need to know that, yes, there's... uh, Now, I'll talk a little bit about the platform, but that there's someone behind the the service of of the monitoring uh, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of uh, consumer devices out there. Um, for instance, the outlet pulse oximeter sock that has never been tested and used in uh, in children, and um, and it's it's a it's a problem. And uh, I'm seeing this with the families who are asking me about this. But I went ahead and I built First Day Healthcare to be medical grade. So what I mean by medical grade is that it's not just the fact that you could see a number. It's the fact that that the family knows there's someone behind it. I sort of give an analogy to like LifeLock that is continuously monitoring your credit score. Uh, we're continuously monitoring your baby's vital signs. So um, the, the, the platform consists of obviously, as I was talking about, as I'm talking about remote patient monitoring. So if you look on my website, you could see I've been lucky to partner with a company called Isantis that makes the first and only neonatal-specific cardiorespiratory uh, monitor. It's a single-use uh, seven-gram sticker device that goes on the baby's chest, and it's continuously monitoring the heart rate, respiratory rate, and temperature. And additionally, then, I have a separate hospital-grade pulse oximetry and I'm able to get the baby's pulse oximetry as well. And then this data is being sent to a dedicated tablet gateway device uh, that has a 4G SIM card and goes to the cloud. And then from my software, I'm able to continuously see the baby's vital signs. And the parents through the Android or iOS app are able to see the vital signs as well. Uh, but additionally, what I'm doing is I'm working with... Um, which is really exciting is uh, there's a heart rate monitor called the Hero Monitor, which many NICUs use, which is basically uh, a patented algorithm that looks at heart rate variability to create a score, a composite score to detect illness before it's actually clinically apparent, before you the baby actually looks sick. And I'm building also working with, obviously, which hot in uh, healthcare is AI, to look at predictive models of ways to detect a baby getting sick before the parents even see it with the vital signs. So it's not just uh, looking, it's not just having a problem, it's also detecting it that we could call the parents and say, is everything going on with, you know, is the baby acting okay, et cetera, um, before it even happens. And then the, the alarms, I have set alerts that 
the parents get SMS alerts and I get SMS alerts for preset parameters if the heart rate goes below a certain value or the respiratory rate goes above a certain value. So that, that's one component of the, the platform. Additionally, behind it is the fact that through the app, the parents have the ability to use SMS-based HIPAA-compliant texting to if they have a question or concern to, to my monitoring providers, as well as to use video FaceTime. Um, and then I'm also working to send the families home with um, one of those uh, Taito telemedicine devices that you may have seen out there. So this way, if I have a concern, I could actually do more to look in the baby's ears, look in the throat. And, and I really think it's a good use case scenario for this device where they're actually you know, giving it to thousands and thousands of people who may not use it that frequently. But um, I believe my population will actually get good use out of it. And talking on the kind of the, the economic model of this startup, what does this look like? Are there are there reimbursement uh, events or episodes? How, how does this look like on uh, the economic model for this startup and the engagement within the industry? Well, there are codes for remote patient monitoring, but as of now, I'm, I'm focusing more on, on uh, building the platform as beta testing and then a concierge model. Um, I do plan to work with payers, obviously, in the future because every um, baby that I prevent readmission of is uh, healthcare dollars that are going to be saved. Absolutely. But as a whole, the healthcare industry is adjusting. You know, telemedicine, remote patient monitoring. Are there's more codes out there? But um, I really hope more in the future to to contract directly with payers. Um, the goal ultimately is to not just prevent the readmission. My my real goal is to also allow earlier discharge from the hospital. That's where I really am shooting for because parents often ask me or tell me, you know, doctor, I don't care how long it takes. My baby can stay in the hospital as long as it takes for them to be normal. And, you know, it's like they want us to give them a, a warranty with the baby going home. And and the truth is, is that we don't know necessarily how long it takes. And it's never been looked at before because from one standpoint, the longer you keep the baby in the hospital, the less likely they'll be readmitted. But the earlier they go home, the more convenient it's for the family. You have to understand these parents have been commuting for months to a children's hospital. They may not have even been born at. You know, Denver Children's probably accepts babies from throughout the state. So they may be driving hours and they have other children, they have jobs. And these babies, at some point, they become what we call feeder growers, which is really what it sounds like. They're just eating from a bottle and growing and they look like normal babies, but they're just not fully developed. They're, you know, they're still medium rare. And, and what I want to build is a platform that could provide a NICU level of care at home that the parents could go home sooner and safer and just as safe as the hospital. That's cool. So last year as well, uh, in 2019, you did secure some really exciting partnerships. You want to talk a little bit about those? Yeah, sure. Well, I'm really lucky to be working, first of all, with um, Isansis, who makes the, the sensor uh, for the babies. There's no one else out there who's making a neonatal-specific device. So they've been working well with them to be able to try to grow their, mar- their market in America. They're based in England, actually. And um, they're planning this year to try to start entering the American market more. 
Um, they're actually, it's quite interesting. My partner, a medical director from um, the Northwell Health System, is starting a study using this Isensis uh, neonatal sen- wireless sensor on babies in the newborn nursery. Because um, in a hospital, babies in the nursery are one of the few populations who are not on any type of continuous vital sign monitoring. Oh, wow. So Isensis has been the, a key, like, the key um, partnership. Um, and then, obviously, as I mentioned, the HERO score to be able to I have an agreement to for my heart rate data. It goes into from my platform. It gets tunneled to them. I get the HERO score back, and I have an uh, agreement with them. And th- those are the most important. And then also, again, with the Tito I'm working with in the future, I haven't secured it yet, but to be able to have the physical examination devices from the Tito come to me instead of their on-call uh, network of providers. Well, congratulations. A lot has happened uh, for First Day Healthcare since the founding just in 2019, in the early uh, February of 2019. So congratulations on all of that, Dr. Summers, an incredible story that's being built around your technology and your vision and your mission. But let's talk a little future state. Where do you see this company? Where do you see the technology? Let's uh, you know Things move very fast in our industry now with tech-enabled services and companies like yours, where do you see First Day Healthcare in the next three to five years and, 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 the, and the patients that this technology and this company is serving? I, I see First Day Healthcare as pioneering the barrier that I mentioned that exists from where the baby is being discharged from the NICU to the next day being a NICU graduate. I'm going to try to break down that barrier that currently exists. Uh, that barrier in adults is less clear. You know, health, there's much more home healthcare services and patient navigation and uh, lots of options out there. So I would really like to break down that barrier. Um, and I would like to partner with children's hospitals. The part of the, the difficulty is that we're not currently geared to provide something like this. As physicians in the NICU, you know, we, we take care of NICU babies. We don't typically do this. So I, I want to revolutionize and transition the concept that hospitals and partnership with me will have monitoring stations of providers helping and provide care at home. Um, and I really want to be able to significantly decrease the readmission rates. And if a baby needs to be readmitted to help direct, direct admissions, avoid having the baby have to go to the ER and uh, to save those healthcare dollars and to provide a significant needed service to, to these families. They're just, they're just grasping. They're, they're totally lost. I mean, I send them home with a stack of papers and sometimes they'll call the NICU and they want to speak to the NICU nurse because they have a question and, and we tell them, you know, we, we love to help, but we legally, we just can't, you know, you have to call your doctor. Uh, they're just grasping. They, they friend NICU nurses on the Facebook, et cetera. So I really want to, you know, I know there's the need out there, and I want to build it and partner with in hospitals, and then eventually to make a partnership also with the payers to make the first really accountable care organization for the pediatric population. Because it's not just the NICU; there's lots of other opportunities Absolutely. to create models where we could prevent and help save healthcare dollars and provide home model services. Uh, that are greatly needed. Well, in, in engaging with you over the past several months, Dr. Summers, there is no doubt uh, with your passion and, and your tenacity to make 
this world a better place with the technology that you are building and the patients you serve. There's no doubt you are going to reach that vision that you just shared with all of us. And you did mention in some of those comments that you are looking to partner with children's hospitals and some payers, et cetera. But let's also talk about um, one problem, need, or question that you currently have that our listening community can help with. And before you answer that, there are incredible leaders from around the globe that now tune into this uh, podcast weekly and have been offering incredible assistance to our to our guests. And so want to make sure that there's an opportunity for you to offer that up as well. So again, one problem, need, or question that our community can help you and First Day Healthcare with. Yeah, sure. It's, it's simple. Uh, entrepreneurship and startup uh, business is not something you learn in medical school. And I've been learning a lot of it along the way on my on my own. Um, and I have been able to engage and discuss and share my platform with children's hospitals. And the feedback I've gotten is, as we've discussed, is that they love it. It's mission-based. It's uh, going to be great. There's a great need. But they're currently not staffed to provide something like this. So the 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 need is that i need to raise funds and to have a, a seed investment round to be able to have neonatologists neonatal nurse practitioners staffing a system 24/7 so i could engage children's hospital and say listen i know you're not currently staffed to you know have something like this yourself but we already have a platform that we could provide the staffing for it and this shouldn't be a, a barrier uh, and the other feedback I receive from children's hospitals is that your team is small, which is understandable. So my other request would be to see what kind of interest there is out there and people who have experience to help me progress my business as a potential co-founder to help me lead the way because I'm the why, I know why we need this, but yep. the how part is uh, obviously more challenging. So funding and a co-founder is what I heard. Yes, well, probably, yes, exactly. Because I have spoken to funding, you know, VCs and seed investments. And obviously the best way to gain, to gain, uh, traction quickly would be to have a co-founder who I could leverage their previous uh, success off of that would, uh, make it easier to secure uh, a seed round from a VC firm. Well, we're going to uh, obviously have in our episode notes, our guest feedback form link. So all of our listening community can submit uh, ideas and thoughts and uh, folks for you to connect with via that uh, guest form uh, form link, uh, again, found in our episode notes. Uh, so let's kind of start closing it out here, Dr. Summers. Uh, with all of that, where are some contact points online that our community can get a hold of you? Oh, sure. Definitely. The best way is uh, through my website. So it's first day, like this word first day, and then HC for healthcare. Uh, I figured first day healthcare was too long and first day was taken. So it's firstdayhc.com. And my email is ross.summers, R-O-S-S dot S-O-M-M-E-R-S at firstdayhc.com. Excellent. We'll leave those in the episode notes as well. All right, Dr. Summers, we've made it to the end of the episode here. We have one more item to cover, and that's a fill in the blank. Dr. Summers, please fill this in. I'm a passionate pioneer because? I believe I'm a passionate pioneer because I'm doing something that literally no one else is out there and providing a greatly needed service for these families in need. Well, 
Couldn't have said it any better. You are certainly doing that. Your your pioneering work within neonatology is definitely needed now more than ever, given the needs out there across our country. Here at Passionate Pioneers, Dr. Summers, we applaud all of your efforts. We look forward to continuing to following the journey of you and First Day Healthcare and everything that you guys are building. Do keep us posted, and we cannot wait for all of our community to hear your story. Thank you for spending time with us today. That's great. Thank you for having me, Mike. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.